This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and today I'm talking with Mona Tavacoli. Mona is a Los Angeles-based drummer and percussionist who is best known for her 10-year collaboration with Jason Mraz. She is a member of the band Raining Jane, which has long served as Jason's backup band, as well as performing and recording in their own right. She is also a co-founder and co-director of the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls Los Angeles, a non-profit summer day camp that encourages girls to find their voices through music. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. Our Patreon content now features our recent guest, Pat Petrillo, discussing the recording of his version of Black Cow for his new record. We've also got lots of other drummers on that Patreon series, including Ash Sohn and Will Kennedy, talking about specific songs they've tracked drums for and all the technical and creative aspects of those recording processes. You can get access to this and the rest of our Patreon content for as little as $1 a month, so check that out. We'd really appreciate your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. If you're in the L.A. area, I will be at the Amundsen Theater with Ain't Too Proud from December 13th through January 1st. Go to ain'ttooproudmusical.com for more info, and please hit me up if you're coming. I'd love to see your face and say hi. Mona is just a super talented and energetic and positive presence on stage and off. I had a great time talking with her. She's really passionate and insightful, and we had a lot of laughs. So here we go. Hope you dig Mona Tavacoli. What's the latest in, uh, in Mraz world? Yeah, so uh, latest in Mraz world is we're just finishing mixes and mastering on a new record that comes oh, wow. out next year. Cool. Yeah, we're just Where getting like the record? Dropbox updates. We recorded in Kenseltown East, which is in New York. Huh. So there's a studio in London called Kenseltown where Jason did his uh, We Sing, wait, we, we Sing, we Dance, We Steal Things record. Right. With Martin Treffe. And so Martin is actually producing this record and we finished, we did overdubs and um, some vocal stuff at Jason's studio in Oceanside. Nice. So this is with, um, 
what's uh, what's the name of the other band? The, the Raining Jane. Raining yes. Jane. Thank yes. you. So this is with with that whole crew. Yes. Yeah. And that band has been a band for like over twenty years now, right? Yes. Which it's outrageous. Yes. Yeah. And and you uh, th- like that band recorded another entire record a while ago with Jason, right? Yeah, yeah. In 2014, we put okay. out a record called Yes on Atlantic Records. Right. And then we've been a part of every record with Jason since the We Sing record, actually. We were co-writers on a song called Beautiful Mess. And mm-hmm. we wrote that in 2007. It was on the, the famously I'm Yours record, which is right. the We Sing, Sing record. Um, and we had, yeah, we had one track on that record. And it was like, oh, my gosh, I couldn't, we couldn't believe it. I'm so exciting. <laughs> like an in, for like an indie, you know, like folk pop band. We're like, oh my god, right, very right. So with this new record, um, is is your approach sort of, uh, you know, back to what you were doing ten years ago, or are you reinventing the wheel, doing something completely new? Like, what's what's the approach on this record? That is such a good question because I was just thinking about that last night. We've been like sending each other um, or updating a note on our iPhone that's got all of the album title ideas. Mm-hmm. And so we've just been like sending each other ideas and, you know, goofing around and stuff. But this new record um, is actually like, feels like just a total evolution, which I would always hope for, but truly like we came from a really organic place when we met, it was like everybody just sit in a room and add your color to whatever the soundscape is. And that's how we wrote songs. Mm -hmm. So everything was like, it was based on whatever we were doing in the room together. And that's how Yes sort of was made, was over Mm -hmm. between 2007 and 2013 when we recorded it, was like, everybody just, let's get together. We call them ladies weekends. (laughs) And we'd come over (laughs) and like, we would just spend two or three days together and we would write, 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 demo, 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 and then, we like amassed all these songs and then in 2013 we recorded it and it got released. And now since 2014, we toured pretty much internationally for two years. It was like 2014, 2015. And then we kept writing and then Jason put out a record called no in 2018. And then he put out look for the good in 2020. And, and now he's working on this eighth record, which is, also nuts and what an accomplishment you know yeah yeah um so we've we've written and recorded with them since since then but i would say like this new batch of songs is so exciting because it has more of a actual like upbeat pop sentiment which jason always is writing like incredible lyrics and his vocal melodies are bananas but um it's fun to just be like oh shit okay was that some 16th <laughs> notes all right I got you. You know. <laughs> I'm pumped. I think it's going to be a really fun record to tour and like engage with people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's always what I want to do anyway is like have that vibe. And so I'm pumped. Nice. So you were recorded. What was the name of the place in New York again? Canceltown East. Okay. Did, like, did you go in there for a finite amount of like, did you workshop all these songs before you got to the studio or did they sort of get shaped and formed in the studio? Like, I, this is, you're asking me like really perfect questions that I might've like submitted, but I didn't, you're just, (laughs) you're really killing it because what actually happened and it was so different this time is we, we went on tour 
for five weeks. And before we went into the studio, we ended the tour in Connecticut, New York and Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And then we just went right into the studio. We had one day off and then we went right into the studio for 10 days. Wow. And we recorded, I would say 85% of the album in those 10 days. We were like productive and like, cause we had been in the flow every day. Right. Right. Like and you've been playing artist, these songs live for five weeks, like a hundred. I mean, yeah. and not, I would say, yeah, the majority of them. And it was so um, eye opening because we were able to witness what songs were connecting with people right, in real time. Yeah. And I think the single of the song is called, I feel like, Dan or I don't know if it's going to be the single, but one of the singles is called, I feel like dancing. And that song we started playing like maybe after the first week of tour. And it was like, the audience would just like pop up and be like, Oh shit. Okay. And we're like, Oh yeah, we got to put that on the record. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it also conversely like helped us understand what songs weren't connecting. Right. That we were like super attached to in the writing process or the demo process. And then we're like, Oh yeah, people aren't, there's not a connection. And so it was, it was really clarifying five weeks on the road, sound check every day show. I mean, we were playing like probably five shows every week. And then we got to the studio and we're like, oh yeah, we're in the flow. So it was highly recommend this for artists. Like yeah. if you're going to, if the band you're touring with is going to be in the studio too, which is not always the case, but um, do that, play, play some show, do a short run or something. And I, I felt like it really primed us. Yeah. The, the band I was in, I guess I'm still sort of in it, but um before I started this this tour, um, I played in uh, Rubyville and the Sulfonics, which is an Atlanta soul band. Um, and so we are, I don't know, five or six songs into a new record. Um, and, you know, we started sort of like writing and arranging and recording during COVID. And as we came out of COVID, we started playing these songs live. And by that point, you know, there was a bunch of stuff in the can for these songs. And we kind of had a perception of like how this song is going to sound on the record. And then we started playing it live and it's like, Oh, this, this is something different now. Um, and it's, it's not better or worse. I don't think because like you can have your album version of the song and then let it have its own life in, you know, in the live world. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's really something to be said for what, what y'all did, which is just like, let's figure out what these songs want to be, you know, in front of people and then put that on the record. Yes. Yes. So you, you've experienced that maybe the opposite way. It sounds yeah, like, kind of. yeah. Yeah, yeah. which I think it's, it's really, it was really just um, a, a clarifying experience as I mentioned, but I, usually what you do is you write the songs. It's like really insular, like, you know, you're doing it because, Oh, we're feeling it. And then you get maybe attached to the demo and then right. maybe a producer comes in and like changes stuff. So you're like learning how to maybe play it to the record and then you hit the road and you're like, you have to find the balance between the two things. Right. And then it finds its voice, you know, but I was so, um, I was so happy to like have had all of that experience out in the field and then to come and record it. And of course they sound totally different because there's lots of people playing on the record. It's not just us five, right. you know, which is the best. It's like yeah. this delicious, you know, tagine. So <laughs> I, I don't know why I use that reference, but, um, I'm here it's, for it. <laughs> thanks, Zach. Thanks. <laughs> what like so, what yeah, was your I'm experience? 
what was your experience of how your your drum and percussion parts sort of evolved during that those weeks like leading into the studio did you have a certain um you know sort of preconceived notion of like how you're going to approach these things in the studio and then after five weeks on the road you're like uh you got to just do something different you know i think it was a mixture of both because of course like some of the songs just had like very straight ahead grooves um and I was playing sort of a fusion kit on the road. I was yeah. I want to uh, talk to you about your your setup, but, but <laughs> yeah. continue. Yeah, it's um you know it's a, a kind of a meant to be a stand up rig because I wanted just the energy of of standing with the others on stage because the way that we're set up, I'm next to Jason, um, and there's five of us, and you know there's just sort of a vibe like that. But I, I, I mostly play Cajon. Like that's my home is the mm -hmm. Cajon, but I had like a little tiny kick drum. Uh, no, it wasn't tiny. Actually. I had an 18 inch on this tour. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had been in the past had a smaller kick drum, um, and a floor tom and a snare drum, but it's a really like stripped down rig, you know? So a lot of times it would be, I just need like a kick snare and I can have some like you know, my right hand on a bongo or my, you know, having a, a tambourine and a shaker going at the same time. And um, so for me, it was like trying to strip away stuff and realizing what would my contribution be in this song? You know, so I did a lot of percussion while we were there, which was great. We were able to like make time to, to have, to get so many overdubs done because we were very amped, pumped, excited. Like we just wanted to like, all the things that were in our heads and then also the, the producer's input of like, Hey, you know, experimenting with sounds and also like being in a, a private room with all of my toys. I brought so much stuff with me <laughs> for the studio um, that I just like had put like on the bus. And then when we finished tour, it was like, I'm just going to sneak this case right. into the <laughs> studio. Um, and it was so cool because then, it's of course like I'm in a room alone and I'm just like, what do you think about this sound? And they don't know what I'm doing, you know, right, like right. so much of the visual of being on tour and the performance of being on tour, you know, you're like a little, like, I don't know. I felt like a little laboratory rat, just like, what do you think of this sound? And it's like <laughs> the LP one shot. And they're like, what is that? And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you, does it sound good? You know? Right. Right. Um, so that was a super fun experience. Nice. How long have you been doing this this sort of hybrid set? Well, let me back up. Are, are there are there gigs in your past or present or future that that are just straight drum set or just like straight auxiliary percussion or have you always just been fusing the two in some way? I think it well, I started out as a drum set player, you know, like when I was 11 or whatever and then with Raining Jane I was playing mostly drum set until they saw me play cajon at ucla in the flamenco dance company you know mm -hmm. and they're like what is that can you do that in our band mm -hmm. so that's how the cajon kind of got put into my um band world um and then once i started doing that that's what people were calling me for so then mm -hmm. i started get, getting really hired to play cajon as drum set you know, like get hired by a singer songwriter, which is actually like the origin of me playing live with Jason. It was just as a duo. 
we were doing mm-hmm. something that he called the duo decibel system. And <laughs> it was just him on guitar and singing and me on cajon and singing. And it was, that was kind of what I got known for and what I was getting hired to do. And then as our, as Raining Jane started getting involved, it was like, oh, can I, I play kit too, you know, like, should we, which he knows. I mean, we were already, when he saw us play the first time, I was playing kit and then came and played, played cajon. So um, by the time we wanted to make this record, it was like, well, I want to do both. I want to play cajon and bongos and shakers. And I also want to play a kit. How can we do it? That feels like it fits these songs and it would be compelling live and fun and different. So that's when I, in 2013 is really when I got deep with that kind of fusion kit. But Mm -hmm. I was, I had always like, I would get hired with the singer songwriters and some would say, can you bring a kick drum, the cajon and a cymbal, you know, so I could have, you know, double bass. I don't know. Um, but, (laughs) But it was, you know, that's sort of where it started was around that time. And now I have gigs where it's just percussion but I'm not a traditional percussionist. I'm not like bringing a conga rig and timbales and, right. you know, I kind of have my own little mock-up of sounds that I like. Right. Right. I, I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about the cajon. Um, yeah. Because I like, and we'll talk about your, your signature instrument from, from LP, but I have antipathy towards the cajon and it's not the cajon's fault. It's, it's really not. It's it is the fault of people, whether they be you know drummers, percussionists, or MDs, or singer songwriters, or whatever, uh-huh. who who have um, relegated the cajon to just like the quiet version of drum set, and it pisses me off so much because a like I can play quiet, I can bring my kick and snare and play quiet, and uh-huh. b the, like the cajon is a thing with its own voice and its own yeah. history. And and genres that it's native to, and uh, it's just you know what what you want me to do with it is is a disservice to <laughs> yeah, the, yeah the full picture of the cajon. So um, there there wasn't a question in there. I just wanted to rant. <laughs> Zach, I'm so I'm so grateful for your honesty about it because I, you are unsurprisingly you are not the first person to tell me. Um, or say something like this. I feel like there's a lot of people that are like so turned off by the cajon. Yeah. And they're so like, ew, it's not a kit. And it's like, I don't, or they've witnessed people play it really poorly, or they themselves are like, I want to play a kick and a snare, not a kick snare on a cajon. I'm full, I totally understand that. Right. And I, I respect that. And I, I love the instrument. I feel so grateful that I found the instrument and that I connected with it. And, it, and I, I found it through flamenco, which is like one of, one of the places where it really rose to notoriety. Um, but I, I felt like because there wasn't anybody playing it when I discovered it, I had no attachment to what it should look like or sound like. And then I was like, Oh my God, this is a kick and this is a snare and I can add eighth notes, a hi-hat sound with a brush. And I literally, I, I don't mean to say that like, I, I like discovered anything because this instrument is so ancient, you know, right. but um, I feel so connected to the, the path that I was able to find with it. And so then I was able to really create sounds that worked for me in a voice that worked for me. And then I could support 
singer songwriters, which I love that genre, like just folk music or just more intimate music. Um, because I was doing it originally with flamenco, which there's bulerias and rumba and like all these badass grooves. Yeah, I mean the 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 cajon tradition in flamenco is as deep and as wide as like the conga tradition in salsa. It's like that. It's it's that interwoven into that yes. music. Yeah, I know I know next to nothing about it, but I <laughs> I, I know that it's like just it's like it's like tablas in in yes. uh, middle Indian eastern classical. music like yes yeah. yes i agree with that but so for me the the history of it and my attachment to that drum is like feels so authentic and pure mm-hmm. that i feel like i was able to then find a voice in flamenco music i can find a voice in singer songwriter i can find a voice in persian music or wherever it was this drum became my expression for that. And then it was like, Oh my gosh, I can do everything on it. Um, so, so I understand where you're coming from. And I also feel like now it's become a part of like my body of drumming. Like, right. Right. And again, you know, my, my, uh, <laughs> my beef with the cajon is not the cajon's <laughs> fault. And when I, when I see someone using it for good, uh-huh. And, and, you know, using it as it was intended or, you know, using it in an innovative way that goes beyond just like the broke ass kick and snare. Um, I, you know, I stand up and applaud, but there's. Just Thank so you, many- Zach. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. Do you know Harry Myrie? He's a, a Nashville drummer. He has a great YouTube channel and he he referred to the cajon as the participation box. Oh, <laughs> yes. See, I'm down for that. I'm down to clown with it because I get it. I totally get it. I played one TV show with the band Borns. Are you familiar with that band? No. Incredible songwriter. Um, and I came in, it, it was for a bongo part that was on the record, you know, and they're going to play mm-hmm. it live and they're like, can you come play? And I was meeting the singer and we were talking and someone's like, oh, she's really great at the cajon. And he just was like, ew. He like had a big re- reaction, like, ew. and then the whole band started laughing because they know they knew how he felt about the cajon and like, there's just, I get this like visceral reaction from people. It's either like, Oh, that's so fun. I want to try it. Or I've tried it and I, I cannot connect with it. Or I've seen people play it poorly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm an ambassador for the cajon. I think that I, it's very useful, very versatile, very low profile. It can be used in so many different ways. You could put your drink on it. Please don't, but you could. <laughs> so <laughs> Oh man. Do you know um do you know Cassandra Kokosius? Yes, I love her. Okay, so you're going to you're going to lose your shit because I went to Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana where Cassandra grew up and she was like a high school student when I was in college there. So she was taking what? lessons at the college and you know, she was already a badass. She was doing marimba and like all that and we we both ended up in LA. I was there from 2010 to 2016. Um, and by that time she had just like exploded into herself, just all over the cajon, all over flamenco. Um, yes. so yeah, the, like the, the two of you are, are using, using cajon for good. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I actually, uh, did a podcast with Cassandra. It was the, um, percussive. Oh gosh. Damon Grant's podcast. Discussions in percussion. Yes. Discuss- yes. Yeah. Yes. And they did like a ladies round table and that's where I met her. 
Oh, and awesome. I met Danny Markham and I met uh, Jacqueline Acevedo and actually I pulled them all to do a, do a performance together. We did, I feel for you interpreted in percussion. Wow. And it's, it's a cool little thing. Um, nice. But, but yeah, but I've never met Cassandra in person. So we're just like internet homies, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to cross paths in LA, man. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Especially I tour so much and it's picked yeah. up. You know, like this year has really picked up. So, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to find her. I'm going to be like, yo, Zach told me <laughs> he brought, he brought you up. I hope your ears are burning. I got a mind like a spy on a satellite checking you out. I'm like a fly with my infinite eyes. I can see with all my senses and I'm coming to get you. I'm invisible, expandable and I'm present. I'm everywhere. I'm deep within the molecules of the air that you breathe in All the subatomic, supersonic spaces in between I'm everywhere I'm reaching out in every direction I believe I'm in the water too Cause you are just like you need me In terms of like how you approach, uh, you know, time and groove and pocket with your setup Um there's obviously, you know, the influences of, of the Cajon and, and all of the, um, genres that that's a part of, but are there, are there like, who are some drum set players that you listen to? And you're like, I want to, I want to do my version of that on my setup, just in terms of their approach, their groove, their feel. Yeah. Gosh. There's so many, I mean, Jay Belrose, I love yeah. his playing so much. And um, he's so luscious. His playing <laughs> is so luscious. Yeah. Um, that's the first person I think of, but I, I haven't studied him in depth. I really want to go deeper with that. But like growing up, I guess my my biggest and only influence, like when I was in high school marching band was Neil Peart. Or, yeah. I'm not... Am I saying it correctly? I've been hearing it pronounced differently recently, and I'm like, I've, have I been saying I, it I wrong? I don't know. I grew up saying Pert, but I, I think I think it's Peart. And, okay. and I think there's a gradual correction in the drum community. I, I think it's Peart. This would be a great edit to make. Here we go. And Neil Peart. Neil Peart. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, total, total hero, you know? And so when I was in the high school marching band, it was all dudes, you know, and in the drum line. And um, I was playing quads, tenors, you know, yeah. and I was discovering like, you know, Tom Sawyer and YYZ and listening to these things. And I'm like, oh, that's, I didn't understand it at the time, but oh yeah, that's really melodic now. Like, you know, growing up and being like, oh my gosh, that's so musical. Holy crap. Yeah. And then thinking about that as, as a drummer in a band, like Raining Jane, for example, like been in that band since I was 19, um, 18, 19. And so like sort of growing up being like, how can I not play too much, but also add some vibe and a part? How can I add a part? Right, um, right. And it's, it's beyond the part. Like I think in, in the case of Neil, you know, what he did with rush was, um, the, the, the parts that he created and the tones that he used were like became characters in the songs. 
right? Totally. It was yes. beyond. It was beyond just like a role playing sort of supportive drum part. He was like, "No, I am one of the three characters in this song," and you're obviously not that. doing with Mraz what he did with Rush, but it's that same thing of like my sound. <laughs> My yeah. sound, my tones, my parts are going to be a character in this song. Yeah, I love that. It's such a great way to describe that. And yeah, I don't, I mean, there's so many things I could, I feel like was a gift from that artist to yeah. my development as like a person in rhythm, you know, right. or a contributor in a band. Um, I think a lot of times if I, if I am playing um, the fusion kit, or cajon, I've got these, the Vader cajon brushes that I mm -hmm. use. I, have you ever seen those? They're like the black plastic yeah. kind of, they're dense. Like you can make them super dense or like washy. And then I, I put some, I kind of Frankenstein them and I put a little metal brush on the front. And so a lot of times I'm trying to create these parts that feel really luscious, like we were describing Jay's playing as. And, yeah. um, and so I'm able to create a lot of like subdivisions in whatever I'm doing with a different texture, which feels like important to me when contributing to, especially songs that have lyrics and melodies that want to be heard, Yeah, you know, that yeah. aren't really rhythm, rhythm driven, but they're like, need that support. I was going to use that word texture about Jay. Cause like that's, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. That he is all about just like creating a texture with his, with his drums and his percussion and yeah. Luscious, luscious texture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Did you grow up in LA? I grew up in San Jose, California. Oh, okay. Cool. And what you, you went to UCLA? Yeah, I went to UCLA for undergrad. So tell me about that because, you know, USC gets a lot of play and a lot of buzz in terms of, you know, just being the the big ass splashy music program in LA. Yeah. Um, but uh I, I don't know very much about UCLA, like what went on there, yeah. what goes on there now? What was your experience there? Yeah. I mean, uh, I was an economics major. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I don't know if you want me to dive into the music program, but um, actually nobody in Raining Jane studied music. Wow. We, yeah, I studied economics and communications. I was in the marching band for two years. Uh -huh. And then I became the mascot for two years. I was Josie Bruin. Which oh my God. This was a <laughs> fun fact. Oh, um, fight, fight, wait, fight. Yeah, let's go. Let's do the eight clap. Are you ready? Hands I don't know it. I just know fight, fight, fight. Where did, Oh, you went to Ball State. Yeah, I, I lived in LA for six years, but it was after, it was way after college and I didn't pay attention. I'll tell you a funny story. Like I worked on a food truck. <laughs> What, like one of my temporary gigs is I worked on a food truck. It was the Nom Nom truck, if you remember that. Like the yeah, yeah, yeah. On me sandwich. Yes. And there's on their social media, they were doing a day at UCLA and uh, they fucked up and, and put the hashtag fight on, no! which, is, which is the USC thing. And yeah, oh, they got like, no. yeah, they didn't do fight, fight, fight. They got a bunch of shit from UCLA people. Anyway, I, I saw this map of this like funny map of LA and it just pointed to different parts of town and just had like one word to describe who lives there. And where, where USC was, it said rich kids. And where UCLA was, it said smart kids. Yes. <laughs> so, so you yes. went to the smart kids college. That's so <laughs> funny, dude. So many of my brilliant musician friends in LA did go to USC. They they did the pop program and they, you yeah. know, and one of my favorite um, 
favorite producers in LA, Smitty, Smitty Smith, he teaches at USC and he's had Raining Jane come and speak there. And um, so I feel like, you know, all of the tension and the beef has dissipated over the years. <laughs> but, but as the mascot, as the former mascot, I have a lot of school pride. I'm and sure. I'll tell you what, we had a great old time and I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm really proud of the times I wore a bear suit and I got to go over to the, to my old friends from the marching band and put on the tenors and cruise around the Rose bowl. And like, yeah. I had such a great time. Like I loved UCLA and I'm still in touch with like, I was an RA. Do you know what that is? Yeah. 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 A resident assistant. So I just like loved like, community. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was, I got really involved, you know, in school. And part of that was like, um, being an RA and I'm still in touch with the people that run residential life. And because I was a mascot, I'm like part of the spirit squad alumni association. And like, there's just, I, I just love being involved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it makes a lot of sense now because like one of the things I was going to ask you about was just like your energy on stage. Cause sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's totally out there. And like you, you know, I'm watching videos of Mirage shows and you're, Oh no, like, you're, you're the party. You're the party on stage. And I was going to ask if this is something you sort of had to grow into or something that, you know, was just intrinsic in you from the beginning. And it sounds like with the bear suit and the spirit squad and the like, it's just been, <laughs> you've been all about yeah, it for a while. <laughs> totally. And you know, the, like the, the cajon, like the flamenco entry into the cajon, like, you know, if you know flamenco dancing, it's like really energetic, rhythmic. Um, the top is doing something, your feet are doing something. There's yeah. singing, there's clapping. I mean, it's this like beautiful expression. So for me, when I sat on the cajon, I was dancing flamenco on it. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. That's why I think I had such a deep connection was like I was dancing on the drum. Yeah. So for me, even just energetically, I want everything up. I know I'm seated on the cajon. That's why it was so fun to like play a stand up rig for me. But yeah. like that energy of just like, yes, because I know if I'm in movement and momentum, it like becomes unconscious. It becomes like I'm in the dance of the music and that's my very favorite place to be with music yeah. where I'm like, and I know you've done so many interviews. I mean, you've talked to so many drummers and I'm sure like this is a theme, like when it becomes unconscious. Like, yeah. And yeah, not a blackout. Sure. I'm drunk way, but in a, I'm, I'm totally connected to source and I'm connected to listening, receiving, uh, returning, like, you know, all yeah. that yeah. sort of thing. And the, the dance thing is also uh, a recurring theme. Um, I interviewed a uh, a great drummer in Richmond, Virginia, named Dusty Simmons, um, who like he is he is not a dancer, but he's just the, one of the grooviest drummers I've ever heard. And he talked about how like you know when he's approaching a song, he he thinks about like how how would I dance to this song? How would I want someone to dance to this song? And it it really informs the way he moves and the way he plays behind the kit. Um, and I, like, I'm even less of a dancer than he is, but I've tried to remember that about like, let's move with this. Let's breathe with this. Let's get yeah. other people to move with this. Um, and especially on this gig on the, on the ain't too proud gig, I'm, you know, I'm kind of isolated in this drum booth with my monitors and my iPad and my ears. And it's, it's easy to just find myself sitting like kind of frozen. And I have to remind uh -huh. myself to just like move, breathe feel like yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah 
That's such a great example of that. I'm wondering, like, you're really isolated, like you're not next to a bass player or anything, or no, it's it's uh the the show travels with like a portable room, basically an ISO booth. And in most venues, that fits into the pit. Um Whoa. Yeah. And it's just for sound purposes. It's so the sound crew can have like ultimate control and sort of ultimate consistency from venue yeah. to venue. Um so yeah, it it I'm I'm still kind of getting used to it. It's a little, it's a little disconnected. There's some stuff that's cool about it. Um because yeah. obviously the audio is like great. Right. Um but, you're hyper focused. Uh, you're like Yeah, yeah. Sort of but sort of like my, a, yeah, go ahead. My my predecessor, um, Q Robinson talked about how you have to like when when you're in that sort of isolated environment, you have to work even harder to convey feel and groove and energy. Um, and he likened it to like a stage actor doing a scene with a paper bag over their head. It's like there's this thing wow. separating you yes. from the live audience. So you have to work even harder to you know, convey what you need to convey from the drums. So yeah, I'm, I'm still adjusting. It's, (laughs) it's going, it's going well, but it's, it's an adjustment for sure. Wow. That's so cool. I'm excited to see how you feel like after you've had all these months of like in this little, like this, like the laboratory rat description that was like, you're so hyper-focused. Nobody's looking at you. It's truly like just an, you know, oral experience, which is, Wow, that's yeah. neat, dude. Um, I don't remember. Oh, I, I want to get back to UCLA. Did you did yes. you graduate? Did you graduate with an economics degree? I sure did. Yeah. And, and and why aren't you an economist? Yeah, I mean, would you like me to drop a spreadsheet for you? Maybe talk about <laughs> marginal profits. I love economics and I love business. I mean, I love all that stuff. I I was booking Raining Jane for like four years i was our booking agent when we were touring colleges i was negotiating contracts i was like i loved it i have so many spreadsheets um (laughs) no you know i think i had a really funny conversation with my dad like two days ago where he was like feeling really nostalgic and he was like oh do you remember when you got us on the field at the rose bowl and it was like um, when I was the mascot during homecoming, the spirit squad was able to like invite our families to have like bagels on the field before the game. And he's like, do you remember? Um, that was one of the best experiences of my life. My dad loves football, American football. And he's like, we got to be on the field and then we got to sit in the stands and the crowd came and I'd never experienced that. And thank you because of the things that you do, like he was insinuating like the weird stuff that I do Um, because of the stuff that you do. um, We've had these really special experiences. Like he's like, remember we, we came with you and to Singapore and Japan with Jason on tour and your mom went to Brazil with you and thank you. And he goes, you know, you could be very rich person. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you could have been a very rich person. You could have gotten a job. You know, I think they always wanted me to like get into HR or, um, my dad recently told me he thought I should have been the mayor of San Jose. Thanks, dad. Um, <laughs> but he said, you always followed the things that make you happy. And you always went towards the places where the, the people that made you happy are. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, yes, thank mm-hmm. you, dad. Yeah. You know, like they thought because I was studying economics and communications that I would 
I thought I was going to go to business school, to be honest with you. But right. in my heart, I always knew, like, I'm going to do something fun, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do something fun. And music and drumming was, like, the most fun. Yeah. Because there was always a way to, like, be with people that you loved and connecting in a really deep way. And, you know, we talked about community a little bit ago, and I just feel like that's my vibe. So, yeah. So I'm, uh, you know... I'm doing fine, but I think my dad really wanted me to be vice president of human resources. <laughs> oh man. Uh, th- there's, there's a movie line that's been um, coming up in my head recently from uh, a league of their own. When uh, John Lovitz plays this baseball scout and and he's on a train and he's making small talk with this business guy and the, the business guy goes like, we, we have increased profits 150% over the last year. And this with a war on and Lovitz goes, ha, ha, ha. you know something? If I had your job, I'd kill myself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I guess I like, this is, this is coming up in my head often because I'm, I'm at the, you know, I've been on this tour now for two weeks and yeah just feeling so much gratitude for the opportunity and having, you know, a blast on this like super high level, super fun show. Um, and I'm just like looking around at other people's jobs, like Jesus Christ. (laughs) Uh, If I had um, your job, I'd kill myself. (laughs) Oh man. But did, did you ever have like a job job in that field or did you just graduate with that degree and you start managing reigning Jane and doing that whole thing? Uh, gosh, I had a job. I had like two jobs and they were like one day each. It was like, I got, I spent more money on like the professional lady shoes and like the matching cardigan and base tank top. I spent yeah. more money on that than I made over like the two days that I worked. Right. I was like very clear that um, I couldn't, I was not built for like, I, I don't know, that kind of tedious stuff. Yeah. I like the vision of like urban economics and how economics at a macro level affects a community. Like I like that kind of stuff. I like retail too. I like thinking about like trends and markets and stuff like that's mm-hmm. like fun for me. But the, t- the, the tediousness of like, oh, like talking about numbers in that way was just, I'd rather talk, I'd rather count to four and play a one, <laughs> one E and a two E and a three and a four E, you know, <laughs> that's where, that's where my numbers kind of end. But I, I don't know. I also, I run a nonprofit. I'm a co-founder of the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls, Los Angeles. Right, right. I was going to ask and you And so that. that's also like, there's some business acumen that's required to run a nonprofit. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I just think like the business sense and economics, I just, I liked the idea of like having that foundation. Um, but the communications, you know, uh, I loved that too, studying the psychology of communication and, and that's all, it's all music related, like the music business, right? Like being able to like have as a freelance artist, like manage myself too. I think, I didn't really have, I got a job at a coffee shop close to my house. And, you know, by like week two, I was like 
the manager, you know, I was like opening the <laughs> shop and like, I just, I like leadership. I like that kind of stuff a lot. And, yeah. but music and playing percussion and, and all of that is just, it's so soulfully important to me that mm-hmm. I think I always will find a way to integrate all those other things into that thing that I love the most. Yeah. 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 With, with that background and with that foundation of, of, you know, economics, marketing, communications, um, what, what are a couple of sort of, um, guiding principles that you've used in, in your career or what, what are a couple of things that you feel a lot of musicians sort of miss or get wrong, uh, or don't consider (laughs) that you feel that background has, has put on your radar? I would, I mean, the first thing that came to my mind was like, do not accrue credit card debt. (laughs) Do not, do not use your credit card. Like I really, truly, like I had to learn a lesson really early on, but like already being like, I'm pretty conservative person in that way anyway, but, um, I, I accrued some debt and then I was able to pay it off. Like when Mm. I was 23 and I was under so much stress as a young person because I wasn't making money. I was like working at a coffee shop. But like eating, like I was like a professional woman wearing lady shoes and it was just not the case, Zach. So I had to, I quickly learned like at 23, I was like, I am never spending more than I have in my account. And if I need to like be really lean about the way that I live, I'll be really lean, but I'm going to live the life I want to live, which is Mm -hmm. be a musician. That was more important to me than like having extra stuff or like, so as Raining Jane started touring, like kind of full time in like 2004, it was like, I think my dad saw my tax returns that first year of touring and I had made like $17,000 in the whole year. Yeah. And my dad was like, are you okay? <laughs> like, are, have you seen what's happening for you? I was like, yeah, but I'm so happy. Yeah. I'm so happy. And um, you know, I believed in myself and I believed in my group and stuff, but I would say, okay, so d- number one thing, just don't spend more than you have. And if you need right. to get another job, get another job. It's all good. Everything makes you more. So like my attitude is like, go for stuff. Like all the experiences you're going to have with, I know a lot of, there's a lot of controversy around this, but like taking gigs that you're like not inspired by, or like, you know, saying yes oh, to yeah. something that's like all that stuff. I was like a, yes, I want to learn. I want to learn whatever it is this space has to teach me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would take a lot of gigs that were low paying or like whatever. I said yes to a lot of stuff. Um, and it would always help me with that attitude of everything makes you more, nothing makes you less. Yeah. Um, and yeah, please. But that, that, that (laughs) idea of like avoiding debt, um, is oh. just huge. And I, I didn't get into credit card trouble as a young person, but I got into student loan trouble. Oh, uh, the which worst. Is still, yeah. I'm, I'm still paying it off. It's going to be around for a while. Um, but just, you know, the, the, the thing that I tell young musicians is just like, keep a low overhead, like whatever you want to do in music yes. is going to be easier the less debt you have, like the less money you have to make every month, (laughs) the better off you're going to be. Yeah. I mean, I was sharing a room with our lead singer, like in an apartment for so many years Yeah, because it was like, that's how we could make ends meet. Right. You know, 
So I didn't, I didn't have any ego about that already. So I felt like I know that I want this kind of life. I want the musician's life and I'm going to make it work. And I never also like, don't, I'm sure you've talked about this a thousand times, but don't chase money or fame because that will burn you out so fast. Yeah. There's no longevity, but also it helps filter people out who are doing it for like the most wrong reasons because it's not sustainable. It just burns you out, makes you feel like shit all the time. Yeah. So, you know, my love of the thing is like, do it with the people that you love, make, make music that moves you. And then, don't don't chase fame and it's then you're you're free right you're actually and free like, la la is such an easy place to try and chase money and fame and it can be so like the time the the time that i lived there i like i wasn't really ready for it in terms of my security as a person and who i was um because like it, it's just so easy to feel inadequate and invisible there and and um you know, the, the lack of a splashy gig, um, can distract you from pursuing your community and the, you know, the people that you really love playing with and the music that you really love playing. Um, and I got, I got kind of trapped in that for, for a little while there, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's such a great point about like, do not, do not chase money. Do not chase. Um, and if you still want to play music after that, then great. Then it's going to come from this like actually elevated place that is connecting to people like that. Right. Like I think that I've met so many incredible people in this last five years of, well, I would say the last couple of years, especially because of COVID, I've been home. I've been grounded. So mm-hmm. I've had to be like, I'm more in Los Angeles now, which right. is fun. I like LA because I came from UCLA where I had a community. Yeah. I left college with a band, you know, yeah. I left, you know, I left college with my best friends. So I feel like I have a totally different relationship with Los Angeles that I think if you're coming in to pursue art in any way, whether it be acting or music, I think it's like, if you don't find your community, it's so harsh. It's yeah. like such a, Oh my God. It's so uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot to love about LA, you know, musically and otherwise, uh, and, and there are, you know, great communities full of substantive creative people. Um, but, uh, it's, it's easy, easy to get distracted. Um, yes. In a, in a bad way. And I say like, people have asked me, you know, especially in Atlanta, you know, they know I, I came from LA and they asked me about the music scene and I, I tell them, uh, well, I tell them two things about LA. First of all, Everything cool you've heard about LA is true, and everything shitty you've heard about LA is true. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, fair. That's totally fair. Of, in terms of the music scene, like I, I say this a, a little bit flippantly, but I say if if you're an extrovert with a short attention span, you'll do great. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you look at me like that when you said it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's messed up, Zach. <laughs> Uh, but no, like, like LA is not going to come to you. You can't stand in the corner and wait for LA to be like, Hey, who are you? What are you about? Like you, like you have to go out at LA and be like, Hey, I'm here. Here's who I am. Here's what I do. Let's do something. Absolutely. Um, And not be heartbroken when the gig plays with somebody else. Like there's so many times that like 
I've played with artists and the drummer or the percussionist that has been playing with that artist will come to that gig. And it's like, oh, okay. And you can imagine like, how would that feel for that person? And then you're like, no, dude, this is actually the flow of events. This is actually what's happening is that all of us get opportunities at different times. And if you can be in celebration for other people's victories and you can be in celebration for, Hey, this is not my gig and that's okay. Like, yeah. I don't know. That's the showing up for music in LA. It's like, right. do you have, do you have the energy and enthusiasm for music and you can go watch other people play all the time, a gig that maybe you were in the hat in the ring for, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you can be in joy and community like that, I think you're going to have a really successful time Yeah, because your time will come. It's just, it's actually physics. I'm, I'm going to, trademark that it's called physics <laughs> just kidding no i i just i believe that and i'm sure you've experienced that flow is like you just yes. show up and like cheer other people on and do your work and then people are gonna be like oh my gosh let's get mona on the gig let's get zach on the gig like right and where i experienced it was in atlanta having having done having done la and kind of done it wrong like I did okay uh-huh. in LA. I did I yeah. did some cool gigs. I made a living. You know, I did not crash yeah. and burn, but I certainly didn't set LA on fire. Um, <laughs> and when we moved to Atlanta, you know, my like my wife saw me just sort of like hustle and struggle in LA psychologically and otherwise. And and when yeah. we were moving to Atlanta, she was like, you know, just just be on the scene. Like go listen to music as an audience member, go appreciate music, go um, connect with people that you want to play with. Don't, don't be constantly triangulating about who's got this gig and how can I get that gig and where's the spot to go. And, but she was like, just be in the scene. And uh, you know, and I did and, and much better things uh, happened for me professionally and psychologically opportunities came. Um, and I like through, through that experience on the Atlanta scene and the experience of doing this podcast, which were sort of congruent. Um, I, I learned to, uh, like you were talking about, just be secure in myself, be able to celebrate others. Um, and just sort of view it as like, everybody's, everybody's in this, everybody's got their thing and you'll get a thing and they'll get a thing and then you'll get another thing. And it's, you know, it's okay. (laughs) Everybody, there's room for everybody. Everybody's okay. Yes. (laughs) Zach, you are so speaking my language and also note your wife sounds awesome. She is. What a, like, I love that that elevated kind of thinking is like, don't be small, like go and connect with people genuinely because you're going to know that feeling, you know, that feeling. It's like when somebody's coming at you with like, I need something, it's so sharp. It's so like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, I'm open. Let me hear what you have to say. But also like, maybe that's not my vibe, you know? Right, right. I want to be with people that genuinely like want to do the thing for the quality of life. Right. You know? Right. So, and it's either that, that aggressive that aggressive thing, like what they call in Nashville, germing, um, just like <laughs> no. the... Yeah, it's it's this Nashville word. It's it's called germing, and it's just okay. like that dude who's always just like hustling and networking and blah, blah, blah you know. Um, but for me, it was you know it was having to be more outgoing, like not being the guy who's literally standing in the corner, not talking uh-huh. to anybody, just kind of looking yeah. around and vibing and and whatever. Just you know, uh, be be friendly. <laughs> so did the did the podcast then? Is that a part of your like expression into like? 
extroversion or like, you know, or. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, I, I had to, um, I had to get a lot better at, you know, not only participating in, but leading a discussion. Um, and it, it, it took a while. I, I think back on some of the early interviews I did, they were like the drum equivalent of like the Chris Farley show. Like, do you, do you remember when you did the, the thing? Was it? <laughs> oh my gosh can we do that now can we forget that do, do you remember it. when you played with jason moran's i love it you know that you yeah. know that song you know that song i'm i'm yours is that true <laughs> i'm into that oh gosh you must be so proud of yourself that's awesome that's uh, well like, i try you've not done to so many I try not to be too proud of myself. I'm an Italian Leo, so that can that can go bad really fast. <laughs> you're trying to temper it. Okay, all yeah. right, I got you. I got yeah. you. Well, you're doing fine. Is Thank that okay? you. Is that Thank okay? you. All right. I want to talk a little bit more about the, the rock camp for girls thing. Um, yeah. Does your, uh, does, does your passion for that come from the fact that you had something like that as a kid or the fact that you didn't have something like that? Yes, I did not. I did mm. not have something like that. And I, um, I actually, you know, I grew up in San Jose and I, I started playing like the snare drum in the sixth grade. And then it turned into like drum set and then it turned into marching band and then it turned into cajon and, you know, it kind of went that way. But I never had like a designated teacher. My band teacher from the sixth grade who um, was my biggest inspiration, Mr. Tyler, he, um, he was a trumpet player, you know, but he gave me all these opportunities and I had big drum solos and he would be like <laughs> introducing me as the aggressive Mona Tavacoli, you know? <laughs> It's like a 12 year old girl with a mustache. I was like, Oh, is that a good thing? You know? And, um, but he told me it was a good thing. He told yeah. me like, if you stay aggressive, you'll be successful, you know? Mm. And same thing, my speech and debate coach in high school, Mrs. Gay Brasher, which is such a great name. And she yeah. said to me as I was, uh, you know, in high school and competing in speech and debate. And she said to me, you're such a great communicator. Keep communicating like this you'll be successful in your life. So between Mr. Tyler and Mrs. Brasher, like stay aggressive, keep communicating. Like that feels like the greatest 
um, support and guidance I could have like as a young person. And then I went to UCLA and, and then Becky Gebhardt and I, the bass player and sitar player of Raining Jane, um, we had heard about this rock camp in Portland, Oregon, and we went up there and we volunteered and it was an all female identified space. So all the mentors were female identified and all the campers. And um, we volunteered for the week and I was so moved by the impact of this like really intentional space. It was not about a masterclass in drumming or bass or music. It was about, can we um, hold space for risk-taking kind of mm -hmm. vibe? Yeah, and yeah. My, you know, it's like in a week, what can you actually do? But a lot was accomplished and a lot of breakthroughs happen and personal growth happened. And you know, I'm so down for that. So Becky and I were really moved by that experience. And we thought, hey, you know, if Raining Jane ever has a break in touring, let's let's like start a rock and roll camp in LA and like do our own version of this thing. Mm -hmm. So that was like 2010. Um, we started the rock and roll camp for girls, Los Angeles. And now we're like almost in our 14th year. This will be our 14th wow. year of summer camp. That's amazing. Yeah. And it keeps going because even though it's like tremendous amount of work and I have a job as a musician and a percussionist and, uh, I'm touring a lot. It it's the thing that really helps like really lock in that, that sole purpose that we're talking about music creates, but then being able to apply like, Oh yeah, I know what music makes me feel like. I know what music feels like when you're in the company of loving people, yeah. caring people that want you to succeed, not see you fall on your face so they can take your gig. Right. It's right. like, they, so then if we, if we can create this year after year in LA and then it attracts all of this like-minded, like-hearted people. So the people that come to camp to volunteer their time and their talent are the same kind of people that are like, right. I want to be in community. I want to cheer you on. I want to hold space for a young person to feel good about themselves. And yeah. we use music as that, as that medium. So it's like all of my dreams in one thing, yeah. which is like, it's community, it's teamwork, it's collaboration, it's risk-taking, it's self-esteem building, it's confidence building, and it's community making. Like the, it's, it's a really strong, beautiful place. And it's Los right. Angeles, right? Which yeah. you may not have that here. Yeah, yeah. And are your, are your campers, um, like, are they already musicians? Are some of them like playing an instrument for the first time? Yes, or? it's real, it's beginner friendly. It's like wow. no experience necessary come and know that like we're gonna do whatever it takes to help you feel like you can go for something yeah and you know i have i i'm friends with one of my campers uh parents this camper came when she was eight years old and then now is a volunteer wow like so she went that's the greatest compliment to the program ever is that like yeah. the camper would be like i was impacted by this now i want to be an, a mentor to some other young person or many young people and the parent was like, oh, man, you know, it's so funny because um, some of the songs these kids kids write are just terrible, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm laughing. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But she says, but the feeling you get from them stepping out on stage with confidence, self-esteem, and just making sound. Yeah. Right? Yeah. A joyful sound. That's it. That's the whole point is they can then after rock camp go and take lessons after school and and really work on the technical prowess, you know, or whatever they want to do. But to have that freedom in your body and not be self-conscious to make a sound, yeah. it doesn't have to be beautiful. We live in LA. The yeah. 
the pressure for perfect and beautiful and uh, melodic are so high. Yeah. Like, can't you just express yourself? You see people play the drums and they're not perfect, but you feel something that maybe you didn't feel when you saw the person playing it perfectly. Yeah. And that to me feels really important too. Yep. Yeah. Go team. Go team, Zach. <laughs> well, it's it's a great um sort of uh I don't know. Um it's it's the culmination of sort of your experience where you know you had these uh you had these teachers when you were a kid who like it doesn't sound like you you got mentored very specifically or uh intensely on your instrument per se, but you had these teachers who kind of like saw who you were and saw what you were made of. And they were like, yeah, lean into that. Go do that. <laughs> and bless and, them. Yeah. Totally. And, uh, and with these campers, you're, you're sort of like giving them an opportunity to channel whatever they're made of and whatever the risks they want to take into music specifically. Yeah. Yeah. And how to thank you for, thank you for seeing it like that and articulating it like that. I think um, especially being a professional musician like yourself, it's like, you know, there is that pressure to make sure it's like, what is the quality of education we're giving these campers? But when I remember, like, the goal of the organization is to help kids feel good about themselves and also learn how to communicate, yeah. like, and, collab and collaborate. Compromise, collaboration, that's all really hard. Perfectionism is a such, it's so vibrant in our culture. So mm. then being in a space where we're like, look at each other, right? Don't look at your phone. Don't go on YouTube. Don't, you know, play a video game, like be with each other and compromise on lyric ideas. Yeah. Go to this workshop, you know, and, and learn tools for allyship and compassion. Are there any topics you want to include in your song based on these things? We're mm -hmm. helping them think critically about being like a collaborator feeling good about themselves and then can you articulate that in an original way in a melody and then perform that you know right right so and, lots of skills yeah and when i was a kid like having music and having drums because like i started lessons when i was eight um and all throughout my childhood and and adolescence like having that and doing that was such a huge part of my identity and you know every kid you know kids are told like you're all special you're like, you all have a unique thing, you you know, and it's, it's true. It's not a, it's not a bad thing to tell kids like, cause it's yeah. true in some way, but having music, having drums at that age, like I could point to something that was like, I do this thing that not many other kids do. Yeah. And, and it was a big part of just sort of my identity and my self-worth and, yes. and, you know, what, whether or not I chose to like, or how I chose to express that. Cause I was always kind of introverted, but just like, inwardly i kind of had like i have this thing that's yeah. fucking awesome that i love um so i think it's important for kids to have that whether it's music or something else just like something yeah. that not many other kids do you know that's so sweet <laughs> i love do you have like a photo of you as an eight-year-old that you can yeah yeah there's, there's a couple. yeah ask your <laughs> wife to send text you a photo. Um, that's so, so sweet. I can, and I actually, I can relate to that feeling as an Iranian girl, like growing up in San Jose and just feeling like, you know, I, I was playing the drums and I felt like I felt connected to it. And I still, to this day, feel proud when somebody's like, I meet somebody on an airplane and they're like, 
what do you do? Where are you going? And I'm like, I'm going to go play drums and, yeah. you know, Tbilisi, Georgia. And they're like, <laughs> say what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> what are all the words you just said? Um, and I, I do, I feel, I feel like what an exceptional privilege that I've been able to, to have a life that, that I get to, to play music, play drums. I can't yeah. believe it, dude. Yeah. And then a few I minutes sh- later, you tell that person <laughs> next to you on the plane, you know, if I had your job, I'd kill myself. <laughs> you just gave us the perfect ending to this podcast (laughs) we should just rename the podcast if i had your job i'd kill myself and we should interview we should interview accountants and insurance adjusters and (laughs) this is so good it could be a limited run it could be a limited run oh my god that's so good Oh, it would be dark. It, it would just it be would me be going like, that sounds, that sounds terrible. Why, yeah. why do you want to do that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't tell them what the name of the podcast is. <laughs> you can't, you can't, they got to sign off on it because I think it would be very sad and you'll, you know, it never came out, but it'll come out. Right. Or I could just do the whole interview and be like, well, it was great. Great talking to you. Thanks so much for being a guest on. If I had your job, I'd kill myself. Stop recording. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that is brilliant. I love it. <laughs> it's sad and dark, but I think it's just, it's the reality of the world. Okay. Yeah. We just got to keep it real. Keep it real. Yeah. Man, uh, we're lucky. We're lucky. I'm grateful. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not spiteful. I'm not elitist. I'm not holier than thou. I'm just grateful. <laughs> All gratitude here. Yes, I feel it. I, feel it. <laughs> well, I don't it was- think you would. I'm sorry. I just want to say, I don't think you would be doing this, like shining a light on other people working in the industry and people that are doing a similar job to you. I don't think you would do it in this way with your whole being, unless you really were in gratitude. So thank you for including me. Of course. I really, I really appreciate it. There, there is a tremendous amount of of gratitude and I I really try to practice it every day, but there's also the found that the the fact that I just love the sound of my own voice. That's. that's (laughs) (laughs) Zach. (laughs) Great to meet you. Thanks for doing this. It was, it was great talking to you. And I like, I'm going to be in LA in in like a month. So great. I'm going to come see you. Yeah. Awesome. It's yeah. We're at the Amundsen for three weeks. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll come see you, whatever we're doing. Maybe we'll yes. go, we'll go harass Molly Miller at, at her gig. Um, yes! yeah, yeah. I'm going to try let's to interview Jay while I'm there. So, oh my gosh. Perfect. Yeah. yeah let's go get tacos with Molly. That Fucking sounds great. A. Tacos <laughs> with Molly. That's, that's a podcast right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great talking to you. Thanks so much. Yeah. You too, Zach. Thank you. There you go. Thanks again to Mona Tavacoli for that talk. Be on the lookout for her with Jason Mraz and or Raining Jane, both live and in your headphones. Come on back next week for Matt Krause's interview with drummer and big fat snare drum founder Chris Mazarisi. We've been collaborating with Chris as part of the Drum Click Network for a while now, and I'm glad we finally got an extended sit down with him. So looking forward to that. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.